when I was rector in Baltimore, I took advantage of being nearby to Park Heights, where the Baltimore Hebrew University was at that time located. It's since been incorporated into uh, Towson University, but at that time it was an independent college. And uh, not having had enough being dragged to Hebrew school as a kid for six years, I went out to get three more years of Hebrew at the Baltimore Hebrew University. And I loved going to Park Heights because I could eat kosher. And uh, so I would sometimes go two hours early before class so that I could get some kosher there in Park Heights. Uh, So one day I would get uh, tacos, another day I would get uh, pizza, and another day maybe Chinese. But you don't usually think of Chinese or pizza or tacos being kosher. But all of that was offered in Park Heights. But there was something else that uh, I noted and um, was very much aware of when I was... It's very crowded in Park Heights, and so very often I was in standstill traffic or I was stuck at a red light or a crowded uh, intersection... And I would look over to the left or to the right, and I would see the lines of people waiting for the mikvah. Now, what is the mikvah? The mikvah is a uh, freestanding building in which there is ritual immersion tanks, uh, if you will, Uh, something we might think of as a full immersion baptistry. And uh, they were coming for different ritual purposes. Kosher has several degrees to it. Uh, So there's glot kosher, and then there is milshik and fleshik. So, in uh, kosher law, you separate milk from meat. You never have the two together uh, in the same uh, meal. Why? Well, you know why. Because of Genesis 39.16, right? Which says, you shall never boil a calf in its mother's milk. And from that, you get the separation of milk from meat, and you never eat dairy with meat in the same meal. And there are separate uh, dishes, pots, pans, uh, and uh, what do you call, uh, you know, whatever, spoons, spatulas, these types of things. What's the word for that? Utensils, thank you. And uh, they're separate utensils. In fact, in a strictly glot kosher home, there are separate kitchens. One for milchik, 
one for Flashik. If you misuse a utensil, a Milshik utensil, for a Flashik utensil, you bring it to the mikveh and you have it ritually cleansed. Now also, after a woman gives childbirth, she goes to the mikveh and is immersed. When a man is going to get married, he goes to the mikveh and is immersed. And there's a ritual and prayers for this. Why am I telling you all this this morning? Because it goes directly to the first reading today. This is the background to the first reading today where Isaiah is called by God and his response is a sigh. And he says, no, Lord, I'm not qualified. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Now, what does this mean, unclean lips? I know what you're thinking. It means that Isaiah is a sailor. Uh, But no, this phrase comes directly from the law of kashrut, kosher, kosher. And this is why we have to understand kosher law to understand Isaiah's response. So, if I ask you what is kosher, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Don't eat pork, right? Don't eat... Actually, Jews think of eating pigs, but we'll call it pork. So, uh, often the thought that comes to mind when we say kosher is clean. Clean and unclean. And that would be right, except that's not what kosher means at all. The word kosher, we call it kashrut. Kashrut is the law of kosher. The word kosher comes from the Hebrew word kashar, which means proper or appropriate. Proper or appropriate. Now this gives us insight into Isaiah's response this morning. He says, my lips are not kosher. And I'm living among a people with unkosher lips. What does he mean by this? What do we do with our lips? We speak. We speak with our lips. We eat with our lips. We breathe opening our lips. In fact, this goes directly to the definition of the human person. Going all the way back to Genesis, where the scripture says, when God created the first human being, Adam, Adam, he was hermaphrodite. He had the qualities of both male and female. I say he, he wasn't a he, he was a hermaphrodite. He, the being was male and female uh, until the two were separated. Um, 
So when the first human was created, God breathed in to the human the breath of life. You remember this phrase from Genesis 1, 16 and 17 and 2, 8? God breathed into the first human the breath of life and the first human became a living being. This word living being in Hebrew is nefesh. Say that with me. Nefesh. This is the word translated living being. We translate it into English as living being, but that's not what the word means. Nefesh literally means open throat. Open throat. That's what nefesh means. What does... Why... God breathed the breath of life and the human became an open throat. What does this mean? What do we do with the open throat? Again, we inhale, we exhale. We, we ingest, we take in nutrients and, and uh, food and water and then we also speak with the open throat. So we communicate We communicate, and this is the single feature that distinguishes us from the other animals. So in the morning when I come down into the kitchen, my dog is standing there and says, And I what do you want? Show me, what do you want? And we go around in circles, and then we go to the refrigerator, and then we go to the back door, and we go all... We're not communicating very well. The feature of the human person is the ability to express meaning and to comprehend meaning in communication. And what Isaiah is saying is that his lips have been used improperly inappropriately. And he dwells among a people who use their lips improperly and inappropriately for the wrong purposes. So what is the appropriate and proper kosher use of the lips? When we speak first to praise God, to give God the honor that is due to God, for prayer, to bless and not curse, to build up and not break down, to exhort and to encourage and not to curse or discourage. So that we're given this tremendous power of communication and our purpose, our proper appropriate use of it is to build up to inspire and to encourage. And this goes directly to Paul's reluctance this morning. In the second reading, uh, I'll have to quote it now because I've forgotten the phrase. Um, Let me find it here. I am least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been ineffective. So Paul, too, recognizes that he has 
communicated inappropriately, improperly, and feels disqualified. And then we have Peter in the gospel this morning who also recognizes that he has acted, he has expressed himself inappropriately, improperly, and falls at the knees of Jesus and says, Lord, withdraw from me. I'm not qualified. So the three, Peter, Paul, Isaiah, this morning, recognize there is an appropriate and proper use of the power of communication. I've used it inappropriately and properly. How does God solve the disqualification of these three whom he has called? In Isaiah's case, he sends a seraph who cauterizes Isaiah's lips and purifies them and now makes them fit for communicating his word. And for Paul, Paul is given the grace that's necessary to transform him from a persecutor, an insulter, to someone who curses and breaks down and transform him into one who encourages exhorts, who builds up. And Peter is given the grace so that he can be one who wins minds and hearts to God. And so we too have that reluctance. Given our record, we look and say, what am I qualified for? Why would God ever choose or use me? But we're given the same measure of grace as Peter, as Paul, as Isaiah, so that we too can be transformed using our power of communication to properly and to appropriately encourage and build up and inspire and draw others to God's love.